Good evening, ladies. My name is Rebecca. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. We are so happy that you're here. Um, I get to work here at Veritas with the women's ministry, um, and this took a whole big team to put this on. Um, so, so thankful for the team here, both the musical team and everyone who helped out there. Um, very impressive boards, guys. I think that if we were to you know, lay them all out together, we would see who Veritas Women is, right? We would see our diversity from, from our fancy winners all the way to our Chick-fil-A team and our Trader Joe Ho-Ho's team. That was, that was impressive. Um, I also am very impressed with us as a collective whole because the spicy board, the what was it, spicy mama, is like quite picked over. So I feel like that says something about us. <laughs> I feel like we are just stronger than I even knew. So um, yeah, so very very full and excited in all sorts of ways right now as I come before you guys. Guys, tonight I have a story for you and a question for you, okay? So question, first of all, our question for tonight is, what is God's heart toward his children? Okay, so if that doesn't sound like normal language, and let's just say this, what do you think God's just like general mood is toward his children or toward you? Like, what is his disposition? Do you ever think about that? I mean, so to be seasonal, let's think. When we were kids, didn't we often think that God's general mood was a lot like Santa? Didn't we kind of confuse the two, right? That God was a lot like Santa. He was this invisible guy in the sky, a jolly old man, ready to receive our request with little to no expectations, right? We just had to convince him maybe that we were good enough and our wishes would come true. But what happens as we get older, as we start adulting? Does, does that change? Do our thoughts about God and, and how he regards us change? How many of you have, you have seen um, Christmas Story, the, the movie Christmas Story? I wanna make sure I'm not saying Christmas Vacation because I don't want you to judge me, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're both a little questionable, but okay, most of you have seen Christmas Story. Sometimes I wonder if as we get older, the way we think God regards us is a lot like the dad in Christmas Story, right? He's kind of that typical 1950s, like parent from behind the newspaper kind of dad who is kind of just a sour in mood, hot-tempered, easily annoyed sour disposition. Remember how angry he gets at the furnace that keeps not working? And um, I actually looked up the script of it. He's not actually swearing in those rants. He's making up these hilarious words. So you should go look at them. They're hilarious. But remember how angry he gets at the furnace and then the leg lamp when it breaks. He gets mad at that and the neighbor's dogs. Do we sometimes think more like that's how God thinks of us? My guess is that in, in this room, the majority of us would think of God more like that second description, a God that's always slightly annoyed when we come to him. Do you ever feel like God is maybe a little bit inconvenienced by you? Or there are times maybe when you would admit that you fear that God is disappointed in you. But are either of these actually accurate, Santa or this hot-tempered father figure? 
Do either of those depict how God regards us, what his heart towards us is like? Guys, we talk about this a lot, but what we think about God matters greatly. But more specifically, how we think he thinks of us matters greatly. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Through the ups and downs in life, through the challenges, I've noticed that I have been thinking about this or that I need to think about it. Maybe a question that I didn't know kind of needed to be reassessed in my own life, but I needed to think, is what I'm thinking about God's heart toward me true? Does it line up with what's in the Bible? And I was rereading a book called Gentle and Lowly, and and all of this together has kind of informed what I want to talk about tonight, guys. I think Christmas is a really natural time to kind of push pause, to be reflective, to assess our lives and our thoughts. But even more so, I, I want to say tonight that Christmas answers our question. Christmas answers our question of what is God's heart toward his children? So tonight, let's look at how Christmas reveals God's heart. And I want to use this graphic, this painting, this piece of art up here. This was an old piece of art um, that was originally called Mary Comforts Eve. And our graphic artist, Izzy, kind of took our spin on it. And let's, let's look at this and look at each of the characters and see how it answers our question. So let's look at Eve. So Eve is the one in the green. Take a look at her, guys. What do you see? She looks defeated doesn't she? She looks humiliated, dejected. Look at the evil one coiled around her ankles. She looks miserable. Want to hear my natural response to her? If I could speak into this art, if I could speak back into time, you know what I would want to say to her, guys? Hope you learned your lesson, right? Keep that head down, sister. You made a royal mess of everything. You guys know what she did, right? Although she was placed in a garden of luxury, she reached for more. Although she was given everything that she needed, she reached for more. And in doing so, it's like she's reaching for autonomy. She's actually reaching for the very throne of God. She is rivaling him. And where has it left her? That fruit that had once looked so desirable to the eyes to make her wise has now soured in her stomach as it has broken everything and brought in chaos and destruction. And still, she clings to it here. And that intrigues me. Look at her. Look at her with that fruit held to her heart. She is so unfaithful. She is so guilty. She is so weak. What is God's heart towards her? Surely God would only feel displeasure for her. Surely his disdain would only grow against her in time. God's wrath for her was about to bust open, right? The floodgates were going to let out against Eve, What do we read? Genesis 3.15. Right on the heels of Eve's sin, we read this. God speaking, I will put hostility between you, serpent, and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then in verse 20, it goes on, the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them. So what we're reading here is that from Eve would come a rescuer. From Eve would come a king. Her very offspring would be the one to mend the mess that she had made, the fracture that she had caused. That promise is saying that evil would take a lethal blow as the victor would crush the serpent's head. And then even more than that, God speaks promise and identity through Adam to Eve and he provides a covering for her shame. So what is God's heart toward his children? How about specifically when they sin, right? What is God's heart towards the sinner when his child sins? According to those verses, God's heart is merciful. God's heart is compassionate. But guys, right now, you have to tell me something. You have to promise me something that you will not just hear that in the familiar ways that we've heard it before. Whether you're super churched or just a little bit churched or not churched at all, you have probably heard that God is merciful and compassionate, whether you believed it or not. But guys, for this to work its way into our lives, we have got to listen to it as if for the first time, that on the heels of sin and rebellion, God was merciful and compassionate. God's heart toward his children when they sin is merciful. While they're still shaking their fists at heaven, while they're still rivaling him for the throne, while they are still hiding, God's heart is merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Do you see it? Do you see the mercy toward Eve? Rather than sin and rebellion kind of catching God on his heels, right? Causing him like in angst and in anger to try and come up with a backup plan. What do we instead see? We see God spring into a rescue plan, spring loaded with mercy. God was quick to rescue. It makes me actually wonder, it's almost like mercy and compassion was his more natural bend. It's like it was his more natural response to his daughter. And it's not just that God has mercy. It's not like he has mercy, like a gift that he gives once a year. It's that God is mercy. It's that God is compassionate. It's his very nature. And so he promised a rescuer in the weary world received her thrill of hope. I told you I had a story for tonight. This story came from late in this last summer. My family and I went to Colorado. My husband's name is Matt, and we have three boys kind of in the preteen age. And we were headed to Colorado for a wedding, but we decided to hike a 14er. Anyone in here hiked a 14er before? It's one of those, what, 50 of the highest mountains in the Rockies. Obviously, I don't really have my facts right now. It's a really high mountain. And if you climb it, you get to brag about it, is I think how it works. So we had hiked this mountain, Mount Beerset, a couple times before we had kids. And we were really excited to lead our three boys up this mountain. So we trained all summer in the hills of Tiffin. 
It, I mean, it worked. It's, it's intense out there. Look out. This, this climb was, was built up in our minds quite a bit. We talked about it a lot, especially me. So here we are, guys. We, we get out of the car. And just to give you a taste of how intense this was, guys, we get to the trailhead. And one of my children looks out at the trail, even though we had prepped for it, and saw how very far away the summit was and started crying. <laughs> I mean, that is how intense it was, but we got started 6 a.m. We are going hour one, hour two, hour three. We're popping gushers, like the good bribe that they are, right? Every half mile, you get a new pack of gushers, whatever. And everyone is really doing well, guys. We are four plus hours into this climb. And I'm a little bit further back with one of my children, and I see up ahead one of my sons go down. And by the time we get up there, I find out that one of my sons, a rock has, has given way under his foot. He has twisted his ankle, and he cannot put weight on it. Ladies, we have, at this point, 500 feet left to climb. That is one-tenth of a mile. We can see the summit. And my son could not put weight on his ankle. What starts going through my mind right away? I cannot believe this. We've got no time for this. We've got a goal to reach. I'm a nurse, so I'm downplaying everything. I'm like, I don't see a bone. We're moving. Let's go. I've got a plan for my family. I've got hopes for them, good hopes for them. What naturally comes out of me, what actually comes out of me and pours out of me to my child who has slipped up? What will be the plan moving forward for our family? I look at him. I look at Matt. I look at the summit. I look at my son. He's humiliated. He is disappointed, dejected. I look at my husband. I look at the summit. I look back at my husband. Surely 15 years of marriage, all for this moment. This would be the moment that he would read my mind. This would be the moment that he would understand exactly what I'm thinking and that we would be totally on the same page. And then Matt says, actually, let's keep talking about our painting here for just a second. Let's, let's go back to this. Let's look at Mary. That's not me in the red. That's Mary. Let's talk about this. Look at her, guys. We looked at Eve. Let's look at Mary. Doesn't she look so kind? Doesn't she just look so life-giving and faithful? And she has no extra pregnancy weight at all, <laughs> right? No double chin, no back knee, <laughs> right? She's so faithful. What, what connects these women? Do you guys see that? The promise that was given to Eve is going to come to fruition in Mary. You guys know the story, but let me read from Luke chapter one. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. So ladies, are are we to just contrast these two ladies tonight? I mean, think of it. Eve was plump and rich, plopped in a garden of bliss, and yet what did she do? Doubted. Then there's Mary living in poverty under the oppression of Rome, and yet she believed. We have Eve who listened to the lies of the serpent. We have Mary who listened to the promises of the angel. So is our goal tonight to just pick the better woman, almost like like she's an influencer and follow her? behavior modification. No, remember our question. Our question is, what is God's heart toward his children? This is about God. This is about his heart towards sinners and sufferers. So look again, look at this. Look at how Mary seems to be communicating to Eve. Look at how she seems to be trying to redirect her. Do you see that? It's like she's trying to pull her gaze up and out and to her pregnant belly. It's like Mary is saying to her, Eve, he's on his way. Sin will not get the last word. Eve, lift your head. Feel, give me your hand. Feel, Emmanuel, kick the God made flesh, the rescuer, the king. He's here, Eve. See, we read that Eve was given this promise that a rescuer would come, that would take evil on. But then what happens? It doesn't happen right away. Page after page turns in the Bible. Decade after decade, millennia after millennia, and the children of God are waiting and suffering. Story after story passes Moses goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, taking on the evil one. David goes toe-to-toe with Goliath, defeating the evil one. Esther defeats Haman. And yet the people of God, his children, are waiting and suffering and hoping. But now, here, it's like Mary is saying, now, finally, the snake crusher is here. He is on his way. So what is God's heart toward the suffering, like Mary? What is God's heart toward us, like those who are waiting and hoping? His heart is faithful. His heart is steadfast. His love lasts for a thousand generations. He is abounding in love. 
abounding in love. Guys, what comes to your mind when you think of that? You got to think waterfall. You got to think deluge, not like a, a dripping faucet of love where you're just hoping to get the next drip, but a flood. He maintains faithful love for a thousand generations. Do you see it? Do you see how God's love endured to Mary? Almost, almost like it was his most natural response to his children. Almost like it was his more natural bend to be faithful, to be loving. So we're at the top of this mountain. We're at the top or almost top. And Matt's about to read my mind. Matt's about to give me exactly what I want. And he says, we are staying together as a family. Yeah. (laughs) But we're going down the mountain starting right now. We are going down the mountain and I will carry him. I am going to carry our son. In his voice was not a lick of disdain, not a sigh of inconvenience. Matt put his 13-year-old son on his back and began the four-hour trek down the mountain. Keep in mind, he's not full of this adrenaline that comes from reaching your goal, but instead he is overflowing with the compassion and steadfastness of a loving father not spring-loaded with guilt or accusation of, why couldn't you just watch your step? No, he was overflowing with mercy. And he carried him down that treacherous, rocky path. And here's the thing, it wasn't just a quick promise that then fizzled out as our son became a burden to him. No, he carried him all the way down. Matt didn't just clap from like the side of the trail to our son as he fumbled his way down. He didn't prod him from behind. He didn't coach him from the front. He picked him up and he carried him on his back. And he hurt physically as much as my son did. His legs, his hips, his shins, his feet were screaming out in pain. He suffered with his child. Ladies, Christmas reveals God's heart toward us in that the Christ child, the rescuer, the long-awaited king, he came, and he came in our image. Do you see him there? You have to look closely. Do you see the Christ child there? Philippians 2 captures it perfectly. It says that Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. And by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, God's heart is revealed in the person of Jesus. The newborn king that we sing about at Christmas revealed God to us. And what he revealed is that rather than being distant to his children or annoyed by their needs, he is so moved by mercy and compassion that he co-suffered. 
again in Philippians, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. God's heart displayed in Christ is that of a co-sufferer, to use Dane Ortland's language. The Christ child came so that you and I would become children of God. So that what we're talking about tonight, that would be the heart of God toward us. So how did we become children of God? Through the forgiveness of God found in Christ. Ladies, it'll sound too simple, but we come to Christ, we let go of our sin and our desire to be our own God, and we accept his loving heart toward us. What that means for you tonight, if this is the first time you're hearing it, or the thousandth, is that you are not alone in your sin or your suffering. You're not. You are not alone because God has revealed himself through the Christ child who would come and live among sinners and sufferers who would draw near to them, who would suffer with them, who would touch the suffering, and who would take that suffering all the way to the cross where he would provide a way for us to be forgiven. What difference does this make in our life, guys? Where does this come? Where does this land? This big story of Christmas, this churchy story, what difference does it make in every single one of our lives, guys? Because God is merciful and compassionate. Remember, we're trying to hear it as if for the first time. Let yourself be shocked by it. Because God is merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. We can and we should, first of all, repent. I know that doesn't sound super Christmassy, right? Not a super festive application point. But guys, let's go here. This should be the response when we learn what God's natural bend toward us is. We should want to step into the light. But don't we so often feel like Eve in this painting? Although your sin is making you miserable, you have the hardest time putting it down. Isn't that true? The sin in your life is creating brokenness and chaos and confusion and loneliness. And yet we have the hardest time putting it down. We hold it close to our heart. Our anger, our sexual sin, our drunkenness, our idolatry. What you need in this moment is to know the heart of God toward you. You need to be told that it is his kindness that leads you to repentance. So no more hiding, ladies. This is when we step into the light before God 
Stepping out into the light in repentance, in confession before God and with others is the safest place that you can be. Repentance is the safest place to be. But the enemy and your flesh and my flesh will do everything it can to convince us otherwise, to tell us that that's too dangerous, there's too much to risk, that there would be too much humiliation, too much dejection. Because the good news of Christmas, the good news of the Bible, is that God's kindness bids us, beckons us to repent. Secondly, because of God's heart towards us, ladies, we need to believe our new identity. Look one more time. Look at what this artist depicts in Eve. Look at that, that look of defeat. Sometimes I feel like her, guys. I feel like Eve in this moment. I feel sometimes like all I am is my mistakes. I feel like all my identity is is the sin that I just can't get over. Right? The addiction that I just can't beat. The anxious thought that I just can't get out of. That quick temper, that bitter heart. Sometimes I feel like... I feel like this, and I feel like the enemy, the accuser, is just standing there day and night saying, that's it, that's who you are, and you will never change. You are the liar, the cheater, the addict, the complainer. This is who you are, and God is weary of you with your trips and your stumbles. Ladies, if you are hearing anything like that, it is not the voice of the Father. You know that song that says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Maybe what we need tonight, what I so often need is for God to tune my ear to hear his voice. If you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, condemnation is not from him. That is not the voice of your father. When we learn what his heart is for us, we start to understand that the floodgates of God's love are open for us even while we are still sinning, even while we are suffering. And so as we start to do these things, ladies, as we start to respond to his heart in repentance and claiming our identity, not as as a sinner who has no power, but as a saint who can stand atop of our sin because of Jesus. The natural response then is to remind others of God's heart for them. What happens when we believe this is that we start to treat people in a way that looks a lot like God's heart for them, that looks like God's treatments of them. When we understand God's heart toward us, we find within ourselves a merciful heart, a heart of compassion. We find that we are slower to anger. We found that we have more love, knowing that it must be coming from somewhere other than us. As we learn God's heart towards us, we will share it with others. So ladies, as we wrap this up, I want you to think of who is it in your life that needs their gaze lifted? We're women, whether we're introverts or extroverts, whether we're outgoing or quiet, we are relational people. Who is it in your life that needs their gaze lifted, that you need to remind them 
of how good it is to be a child of God. Remind them that their sin does not define them, but that Jesus defines them. Who is it this Christmas season that you need to pursue, that you need to draw near to and share this good news? Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for revealing yourself at Christmas. Thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus. Lord, I pray for this room tonight that we would be overcome with the good news, the joy of Christmas, that our sin does not define us, but that Jesus's life, death, and resurrection defines us. Father, may we walk confidently in that newness. May we be overwhelmed and shocked and stunned that your natural response to us is mercy. And Father, if there is anyone in this room who does not yet know the power of your love, I pray that you would pursue them right now. I pray that there is someone in this room who does not yet know that your blood will cover their sin and make them right, that they would do work with you tonight. That they would step into the light. And that we would allow you to be their God, their King. That they would find newness tonight, Lord. Thank you, Father, for Christmas for God with us. Pray, Lord, that we would become strong and courageous women who cling desperately to the incarnation, that cling to the good news that you became a man because you loved us. Would we live in that truth?